This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Baby Brunch, the parenting series, is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility, and control. And that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth, we let you be you. Emma Sadley is South Africa's leading expert on social media law. The company she founded in 2014, the Digital Law Company, specializes in educating and advising corporates, employees, schools, parents, teachers, and universities on the legal, disciplinary, and reputational risks of social media. Emma, when I see the word risk, I want to ask a thousand questions, and I have them in no particular order. And I want to dive straight in because the last time I spoke to you, we actually spoke about WhatsApp groups, our rights as an individual around being talked about on social media, on WhatsApp, on SMS. What are my rights? What are the rules? But now this time I want to talk about our children. What is the suitable age for a child to start having their own social media accounts? So glad we're starting with this question because I think that the main problem that I'm seeing is parents putting these very powerful devices in the hands of very young children. Now, I think that a lot of people think they're doing their children a favor by getting them a smartphone when they're nine or 10 years old. I think that that mostly comes with ignorance around how badly things can go wrong. You know, there's three things that worry me particularly about the smartphone. The first is the internet connection because it makes everybody a publisher. As soon as I publish something into my phone and it's seen by one other person. So it doesn't matter, Alana, whether it's seen by three people or three million people. As soon as one other person has seen that content, then we treat that content as if you had published it on the front page of the newspaper. Mm. Now, what that means is that the laws start applying to you, all those laws and rules around publication, which you know about when you're doing your radio show, suddenly apply to what I'm saying in a WhatsApp group. Now, that's scary enough if I'm an adult, but if I'm a child, those laws also apply. The age of criminal capacity in South Africa, that means the age at which you could be arrested, is 14 years old. Sometimes it's younger, actually, depending on the child. Under the age of 10, you can't be arrested. Over the age of 14, there's no question you can be arrested. Between 10 and 14, they look at the child, how educated is that child, how mature is that child, what kind of school do they go to, what kind of family do they come from. And if your child should know the difference between right and wrong, if it can be shown that they should be able to appreciate the consequences of their actions, then they can actually be held criminally responsible, which means they could be arrested because of what they're doing on that cell phone. Civil capacity starts even younger. That's the age at which I can sue you or you can sue me. Uh, Civil capacity starts at seven years old. So my first worry is that suddenly they have the power to publish to a lot of people. It's basically saying to your child, you have the power to do something which has the same legal consequences as writing an article on the front page of the Sunday Times. That's the first thing. The second thing is that as soon as you're online, you're online. You can come across, you are going to stumble across inappropriate content, dodgy people. You know, we can certainly, and we're going to talk, talk today about the steps that we can take to make sure our children aren't coming across pornography, pedophiles, predators. But the truth is there's no magic wand which completely ensures that our, that our children are safe. You know, I often say the Internet has no shallow end. And I think you know what I mean by that, you know, that once you're online, you're online, you're going to be exposed to that big bad world out there, which we spend as parents so much time trying to protect our child from. The second thing that worries me about the phones is the uh, camera technology, because suddenly we're taking pictures 
all the time. Other people are taking pictures of us. It's turned us all into celebrities. It's turned our children into celebrities. It's turned our friends, our families into the paparazzi. So that worries me, thinking about what's landing up online about me. And then uh, the screenshot, because the screenshot technology basically means things aren't temporary anymore. You know, how I used to have a chat to my mate over our lunchbox at school. Uh, that conversation now happens on WhatsApp. Somebody takes a screenshot, that content gets circulated and it's a problem. So I think that's my first statement is that I think we're giving phones to children far too young. I know your question was more about social media accounts, but I think as soon as kids have their own phones, then they're on these accounts. Um, most of the age restrictions on these apps is 13. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, all of them have an age restriction of 13. There are some exceptions to the rule, like Facebook, for example, um, as a parent of a, of a young child, you can start a scrapbook for your child. Uh, there's also a Facebook Messenger for Kids option, which is really targeted at children sort of 9 to 11 years old, where you piggyback onto your parents' Facebook account are able to message people who have been pre-approved by my parent. Wow. Okay, so I asked social media, but now that you talk about device in hand, I've got four children. So two of them are my stepkids, and then the other two, they're a lot younger, five and age three. I, at times, feel a lot more responsible and safer when the young one has the phone, the five-year-old, instead of my 13-year-old, because my 13-year-old can read and can log on and say yes, and they can come across those. You know, sometimes they on the games, they have a, an equation, or let me check if you're a robot, spot the bus, or uh, and you have to color in. The, so my 13-year-old would be able to override that, whereas my five-year-old won't. Let's start with the devices. How old can they be when I can hand them my phone and say, okay, well, here, watch YouTube Kids for five minutes as your reward because you helped me tidy up the toys? So I think that there's the Harvard School of Parenting, <laughs> which is your child should have no access to a smartphone until they're, well, in my view, 13 years old. There's a great campaign in America at the moment called Wait Until Eight, which basically mm. means like wait until eighth grade, so our grade eight here, so the first year of high school in most right. schools, because that really is the most foolproof way. But, you know, the truth is none of us can really parent like that. I mean, if you look at the American Association of Pediatrics and their recommendations on screen time rules, we're living in various stages of lockdown and parents are trying to work. Parents are trying to work well. Their children need to be kept entertained and that often is giving your child a screen to keep them busy. Yeah. So I think that maybe we, we just say that not all screen time is created equal. There is a lot of screen time out there that can be beneficial. I think passing your child a phone and, and saying you can watch YouTube Kids, I'd much rather you were saying watch Netflix or watch Showmax because that's pre-moderated content. Mm -hmm. The problem with YouTube Kids is that it's all user-generated content, which means that there is somebody out there who's uploaded that content right. that your child is going to watch on YouTube Kids. And, and they do take content down if it violates their terms, but it's reactive. There isn't somebody who's checking every single thing on YouTube Kids before your child's allowed to watch it. So you can report it if you see something dodgy on there. But then, you know what I mean? It's a reactive process. Whereas a platform like Netflix or Showmax, it's pre-moderated content. So if it says this is suitable 
for five-year-old children, then you can be fairly comfortable that it is. I've seen crazy content on YouTube Kids. I've seen mm. Peppa Pig self-harm videos. I've seen Shrek porn. I've seen encouragement to suicide videos. I've seen crazy stuff. And the problem, Alana, is that you might pass your child your phone and say, have a look at YouTube Kids, and you might have approved the video that they're seeing, but then it auto-plays the next video. It really is one of the platforms that you have to keep a very, very keen eye on. And there are ways to make sure that there are parental controls on YouTube Kids. So, for example, you should turn off allow searching. You should turn on approved content only. You should turn on pause watch history. You know, in a vacuum, all this stuff just sounds like gobbledygook. You know, maybe I should have said right before we talked about any of this other stuff is that every single platform comes with its own risks and its own set of issues, whether they're privacy issues or inappropriate content issues. And I think parents out there need to educate themselves. So before you let your child on TikTok or Snapchat or play Fortnite or play Minecraft, you need to educate yourself. Now, I'm not saying that before you let your kid play Fortnite, you need to go and play it for three months. <laughs> I'm saying Google it. <laughs> you know, go to a platform like Common Sense Media, which is the most comprehensive, and it's just so user-friendly and easy. So you go to Common Sense Media. It's commonsensemedia.org is the website. You search up and you read up and you investigate what the issues are on each of those channels. So if your nine-year-old daughter comes to you and says, uh, Mommy, I really want to make a TikTok video, and all my friends, this is thing. All my friends are on TikTok. I'm the only one who's not. Mm. Then go and educate yourself. And even if it's got an age restriction of 13, which it does, I'd much more, I'd be much more worried about a 13-year-old having free reign on a platform than an 11-year-old being on a platform with their parents' full know-how, educating their children, helping them with the risks, full access to the account. You know, these, these platforms that you say you can have an account younger, but it has to be in the parent's name. Right. So I'm much happier about an 11-year-old being on TikTok with their parents watching everything they're doing and having full access to the account than a 13-year-old who was just given a device and said, go and have a nice time. So, you know, the, the topic that we're battling in this podcast is such a big topic. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we can only really do is to try and talk about general principles, but when it comes to individual platforms, to say to parents, just go and educate yourself. If you have any questions, then Google is your friend. You know, just when I was um, prepping to see if there's been any new updates before we started speaking, I was doing things like Googling, how can I turn off DMs on Instagram from people who don't follow me? You know, that's a really intricate question. And the first thing that comes up are exactly the four steps I need to do to make sure that that happens. Mm -hmm. So investigate, Google content, and make sure you're comfortable with the platform before you let your kid on them. I love what you're saying. And I have so many questions around the fact that we talked devices, we talked security, we talked updates, we talked... Google, we talked turn off porn history, we've talked turn off allow searching. I mean, the other day, and I'm just going to say it, I, I felt so stupid afterwards because I handed my daughter a phone, which is her device, and it's restricted. Well, I thought it was. And then there was something about family sharing or, fam you know, it, but it allows me now to restrict the content. And I, I, I don't even know what setting I pressed, but then it she couldn't access any of the apps that I've downloaded for her. And that's when I realized that I actually don't know how this device works and she knows it better than what I do. And that is, an, that is a problem, you know? So, yeah, so that is such a big problem. So happy you raise it because, you know, sometimes in my talks to parents, I sit down and I say, okay, these are the steps you need to take on TikTok, for example. You need to go into the privacy and safety section and you need to turn on this and this and this and this. Let me tell you, the second you've walked out the room and your child has that device, all of those things you've just turned on 
are going to be turned off. Mm. So what you really need to do more than anything is to make sure that your children are educated. Make sure that they know what the ground rules are. Mm. What are the ground rules for sharing of personal information? What are the ground rules of talking to strangers online? What are the ground rules of the kind of content I should be sharing? Because those basic fundamentals are going to apply on every single platform. Not just when they're on this week, it'll be Instagram and TikTok, but next week it'll be on a platform that we don't even know about yet. And, you know, it's a full-time job. I know because it is my full-time job, staying on top of the new platforms, the new apps, the new games, the new issues. It is a full-time job. So all I think you can really do is to equip your children with the the ground rules, with the basic principles. Alana, it's much like in the old days, when would you let your child go to a party where you know there are going to be drugs and alcohol? Mm. You know, you can never protect them from that world, but all you can do is equip them with the the rules, the knowledge, the, the, the fundamentals to make good decisions. And that's what we can do for our children, is from a young age, start inculcating in them the basic rules mm-hmm. about talking to strangers, sharing personal information, content that they're sharing. If somebody asks you for a naked picture, how do you react? Let's talk screen time quickly, because I, I loved how you say the Harvard way of parenting, you know, where you go, you will have no device until you are in grade eight. And then we hear the word screen time and already I roll my eyes and I go, but my children are, I don't know, screen time is as long as I need to finish something quick. When we think of our toddlers and the age that they, that we think that they can hold this phone now and watch something, how long is enough? Well, I think that maybe we start with the Harvard way of parenting (laughs) (laughs) and then we'll talk about the practical way. So the American Academy of Pediatrics, who are really the big daddies, they are the big dogs. They they make best rules about screen time and children, about health and children generally. So basically what they say is under the age of two, no screen time Mm. whatsoever, except video chatting with family. From the age of two until the age of five, they say one hour of screen time a day. Now, if you add up that that means everything that they're doing on a tablet, whether you've got them some kind of toddler-friendly device, television screen time, Kindle, you know, any any screen time they're getting adds up to that. You know, I don't think I know a single person who's survived lockdown without using the screen as Mm. a pacifier. And I think, you know, we've only seen in recent times the emergence of the iPad as a pacifier or the tablet as a pacifier. And I think that the sort of shaming of parents to say never ever do it is not that helpful. I think we all know that our children shouldn't have that much screen time. You know, there is a direct relationship between how much screen time kids are getting and attention problems later on. Because the real world can never compare to that super high impact, glitzy, fast moving colors stuff that they're seeing on their screen. So then we've got to go to, okay, well, we can't really live in this world where our child gets absolutely no screen time or up until the age of five has only one hour of screen time. I'm trying to work from home. Everybody's at home. Everybody's stressed. Then I think we've got to say, okay, well, what type of screen time is better than others? Because not all screen time is created equally. Mm. So I think if you can, as far as possible, be with your young kids during their screen time and interact with them. What are they seeing on the screen? Research the games and apps before getting them for your child, making sure that, for example, if you're going to get them one of these tablets, make sure that that's the one that you are most comfortable with in terms of the exposure that they're going to get from that, that tablet and then you know watching a high quality educational programming together is good screen time you just putting your toddler down in front of the television while you watch your favorite shows that's bad screen time (laughs) you know what I mean so playing um, an interactive color or shape game on a tablet is 
good screen time, but you just passing your child your phone so that they can stare at YouTube videos that you haven't looked at, that's bad screen time. Mm. Um, you know, I think also then we've got to start thinking about, and I, you know, I call them the glow kids, these kids that you see at a restaurant in the days where we used to be able to go to restaurants and looking at a phone and it looks almost like somebody's shining a torch into their face because the brightness is so high. You know, I think starting to think about, okay, well, if they are going to get screen time, let's make sure that the, the brightness of the actual device is on its lowest setting so that you're not getting all that blue light in the system, which is going to impact on their sleep later in the day. If possible, where they need to get some screen time so you can get some stuff done, have that done earlier in the day because the closer it gets to bedtime, the more impact it's going to have on bed. Um, you know, it's those kinds of things. It's like, how can we be more practical about it? But as I say, if you want to listen to the American Academy of Pediatrics, Absolutely no screen time under the age of two, except video chatting with uh, family. And between ages of two and five, accumulatively, all screen time should not exceed one hour a day. I want to talk apps next. I am almost annoyed because my Facebook algorithm will tell me that you've looked at this and now there's an app that comes on that says, ah, learning for toddlers and how many children have enjoyed this app and I download, I pay for it. And then once it's in my inbox, I realize that it's a whole lot of nonsense. You know, I, I don't want it. And my child is not interested in playing uh, in terms of good screen time that you've just referred to. What do you do in that case? I mean, do you unsubscribe and ask for your money back? Is is that just, is there no way to check whether an app is good before yeah. you download it? Yeah, so most apps, especially at this time of this huge boom in e-learning, allow you a 30-day free trial period. So where possible, go and use those trial periods to make sure that you're not going to be wasting your money. Mm. And and if you, if you can't access a free trial period, then search the internet. You know, don't just click on that advert that somebody has sent to you, mm. that somebody has, has paid to appear on your Facebook homepage. Uh, investigate it. You know, there are so many mommy bloggers out there and some of these YouTube videos are so exhausting and so painful. But every single app and every single tablet, which is directed at children, at toddlers, has been exhaustively reviewed, if it's worth its salt. So be careful of the fly-by-night operators, but just Google it. Check it out online. Watch some of those videos. And I mean, I don't know if you have the same experience, Alana, but it's particularly if they're created by an American reviewer, you can just fast forward mm. the first four minutes because <laughs> I don't need to watch you taking it out of the out of the box or you know what I mean. Mm. Like it's just so long-winded. Um, so check out the reviews, and you could you know these YouTube videos are often so um, in depth that you can watch somebody really interact with the with the app or with the tablet for an extensive period before you make your decision to spend any of your money on it. Mm. What do you think, dear Emma, who works with people and who defends people and who helps people from a law perspective every single day and who educates parents and, and teachers and all of us on the risks of social media, what do you think of parents who create Facebook pages and Instagram accounts for a baby or for a young child and then regularly does updates I don't want to judge or anything. My children are not on Instagram and they're not on Facebook and I don't post pictures of them all the time. There, there are some times that I do post pictures of them. How safe is it to create a profile for a, a baby or a child? I mean, in short, it's prohibited by Facebook's terms. So if you, as I say, age restriction on Facebook over the age of 13. Now, I've got friends who started Facebook accounts for their children literally the day they were born. I actually had a friend who started one for a child who was still in utero. I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. Um, and I understand why some parents do it because mm -hmm. it is a way of keeping your content in the cloud 
for a day when your child gets older and they'll be able to see all of that collated content. It's mm-hmm. like an online diary. You know, we're able to share this content. It was quite funny. A friend of mine who created one for his son when the day was he was born, and I've, I've been friends with this account since he was very little, and he's now probably about seven years old. Anyway, I got an update. I think the other day saying it's this, it's this kid's birthday, and I looked and I said, he's 19 years old, and I was like, no, he's not. <laughs> because obviously his parents have had to lie to create the account. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, that, I think that maybe is a step too far. I have seen that Facebook has brought out a scrapbooking option. So you can go into your Facebook profile, you click on family and relationships, and then you add a scrapbook for a child. And I, I think that that's also quite a nice way of doing it. Look, Alana, there's no gold standard when it comes to what I call sharenting. Mm. I am nervous of sharenting for me personally, because I see how badly things can go wrong. I see how baddies out there, trolls, malicious people, abuse content online. So, for example, go to my Instagram profile, take a picture of my child, and then use that picture for nefarious purposes. Now, I don't want that to happen to my child. I think generally the risk of that is very low, unless you're particularly in the public spotlight. But I think that if you are going to share pictures of your children, these are the rules. The first one, make sure you have privacy settings. I think to let your pictures of your children be on the World Wide Web for anybody to access is incredibly dangerous because of the amount of image-based violence, image-based abuse that I'm seeing. I've seen baddies out there take pictures of a child and Photoshop the child's face onto a naked body and land up on child porn sites. I'm seeing this stuff go on. So I'm not just scaremongering. If you are going to share pictures of your children, make sure that you have privacy settings invoked. And where you have those privacy settings, you've got to be strict about them. You know, Mm -hmm. there's no point in having a private Instagram account if you're going to have 10,000 followers, if you're going to be letting people you don't know follow you. So you've got to be super strict about actually having a private space. So that's the first thing. The second thing is no naked pictures of your children. Mm. doesn't matter how young or how damn cute your child is, you do not put naked pictures of your children on social media because if that content lands up in the wrong hands, it can be abused. The third thing I think that we should talk about is no embarrassing or shaming pictures or, or content about your child. You know, a picture of your child sitting on the toilet and saying, oh, my God, FML, my child's had diarrhea for four days. Like, don't be that person. Mm-hmm. You know, remember how public it is, how permanent it is. You do not want to embarrass your child. You got to think about them looking at this content in 10 years' time or their friends coming across this mm-hmm. content in 10 years' time. You just don't want to be that parent. The fourth thing, I think, is to make sure that the parents, particularly in cases where parents are either are not married or divorced or or separated, both agree on the extent to which the child is going to have a digital footprint. Mm. Where you've got a case where the mother wants to have their child all over their Instagram account and hashtagging the hell out of everything and the father doesn't want them to have any digital footprint, I think it's almost a question for the parenting plan. And I think it's a, a sufficiently serious question that impacts the child that you should discuss and have some kind of agreement on. So provided, and then I think, for Alana, as soon as your child's old enough, so for example, you with your teenager, I would say before you post a picture of her, ask her, are you happy? Do you like this picture? Are you cool with this picture? Are you happy mm-hmm. for me to put this picture on my Instagram? And if you start getting fight back, if your child's saying, mommy, please don't post that picture of me, then don't post the picture. Mm-hmm. Because that's behavior that we want to be encouraging in a child is for them to be thinking about their digital footprint, thinking about their digital shadow, about their online CV. From there, it's a parenting decision. And from a parent's point of view, the more you look after your child's right to privacy, the more legal right to privacy they have. And you might have seen late last year, Rachel Colisi saying that they were going and no longer post pictures of their children's faces on mm. social media. 
which just after the Springbok victory in, in Japan. Now, what that means is that if the U of the Hitchcock magazine publishes a picture of the Khaleesi family, they're going to have to blur the faces of the children because mm-hmm. the parents, despite huge fame, are creating expectations of privacy for their children. And the more you look after your child's right to privacy, the more right to privacy they have. I've taken the decision not to post pictures of my child's face on social media. I've published one picture of the back of her head on my own account. But then... Within the first week of this year, I had got something from, she goes to Nurturing Nanny's playgroup and she goes to, uh, I take her to Clamber Club and she's, she's young, she's less than a year old. Mm. Um, both of them sent messages saying, can we post pictures of your children on social media? And actually I was happy with the way that they proposed sharing those pictures and mm. I said yes, because for me, the benefit outweighs the harm, the potential right. harm. You know, right. I want to see pictures of my child when I'm work, when I'm on airplanes, when I'm far away. I want to see pictures of my child having a nice time. And if they can use social media in a way that is safe and, and it makes me feel comfortable, then, then I'm down with it. Mm. But I love how you said on your platform it's it's non-existent or there's one picture and it's of the baby's back. But as soon as it's, and, and I've had that same request from the school, for instance, where there's a group activity and all the children are taking part. And chances are they won't know it's my child, you know, because there's a yeah. hundred children that look like her or maybe they don't look like her, who knows. It's something that you want to see and you also want to just be a mom and not Emma, the legal expert or Ilana, the radio and television person who interviews people, you know, so. And I think it's not just because of our profiles, Ilana. I think it's, it's for everyone. You know, mm. the idea that, that that face attaches to a person and we can start talking about data protection law, which is just so damn boring. But, but basically, like as soon as as soon as it's anonymized, then you don't have all of those issues. And so for me, a picture of my child, just her face at her nurturing nanny's class when I'm at work, which isn't tagged to me, there's no, my child's name isn't posted on it, then I'm happy with it. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, just if you're an ordinary person, if somebody has some, we're starting to see, I'm afraid, around the world, an increase in uh, sort of kidnappings and, and finding information out about your child. Mm-hmm. And often that happens on social media. So it's, it's all about mitigating risk in all spheres of our lives. And I think as my child can't be identified from that picture, then I'm cool with it. But not all parents would be. So I really think that this is something that is a parenting decision. I think a parent has absolute discretion in their child's digital footprint. And if a parent says, you cannot post pictures of my child, then you can't post pictures of their child. Mm -hmm. You can't overrule that. So if your school sends out a consent form saying, we need consent from you to publish pictures of your children in media, in marketing, on our social media pages, and you say no, then the answer is no. They can't come with a right to override you're saying no. Can I ask family members to not post pictures of my children or even friends? And and how do you ask nicely? There was a party or the children had a play day together and they're tagging us in a picture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think that it's not even a question of asking nicely. <laughs> if you say no, the answer is no. And you can try and soften it a bit. But if you've taken a parenting decision that you won't share pictures of your child, you let everybody else know, that's it. It's not their human right to publish pictures of your child. Mm. Um, and it starts getting complicated, particularly in divorce cases, where my ex-husband's mother wants to post pictures of her grandchild and I say no. But, you know, then I think we need to be consistent because if I'm saying no to my ex-husband's mother, 
then I can't be posting 500 pictures of my child either. You know, I think that we, so provided the messaging is consistent, if you've taken a decision that your child's going to have no digital footprint, then that's it. And everybody must comply. Um, and yes, you could ask kind of nicely. You could say, you know, we've discussed this as a family and we've decided that our child won't have any digital footprint. But, you know, to keep you up to date with what's going on, we've going to create a WhatsApp group and mm-hmm. we will send pictures on that WhatsApp group. But nobody's allowed to go and put those pictures then on Facebook. Yeah, it's your child and you get to make the rules. That's, that's one of the cool things about being the, the parent is that you're the boss. Emma, you also deal with reputation. Emma is the co-author of two best-selling books, Don't Film Yourself Having Sex and Other Legal Advice for the Age of Social Media and Selfies, Sex and Smartphones, A Teenager's Online Survival Guide. I look at this and I want to speak to our older children. I've got a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. And other than the fact that I'm a super strict stepmom, I love them and I care about them and I don't want people to have access to them. Am I allowed, any mom to any child who is older, am I allowed to get access to their social media accounts if they say no because they have secretly created an account without me knowing? So my view is that it's it's your phone (laughs) and you have full access to it at all times. So I highly recommend everybody sign um, a smartphone contract with their children when they give their child their smartphone. Um, There's a free one to download from my website, which is called The Digital Law Company. If you just Google The Digital Law Company, it'll take you to my website and you can download from that website a free smartphone contract. And Alana is basically a contract that says, you own this phone, I get to use it. These are the conditions upon which I get to use it. And if I break the rules, then I don't get to use it anymore. And one of those conditions is that whenever I want to, I can have a look at it. Now, I don't propose that all of us are big brother and we're reading your child's diary. What I do think you need to understand, though, is that when things go wrong, they go terribly, terribly wrong. So we need to make sure that doesn't happen. I I get parents who say to me, I couldn't possibly look at my child's Instagram account. I'd be infringing their privacy. And then I say to them, but 14,000 people are following your child. And they're all seeing it, so you really aren't acting negligently by not knowing what your child's up to. I'm not saying go and read all their private messages unless you think there's a crime committed and somebody is maybe, I don't know, soliciting naked pictures out of your child or there's some serious harm going on. Then I think there's absolutely a reason to read private messages. But as a rule, I think you should just check up on their accounts, see what they're posting. Very important, Alana, is to say... Who is this person who keeps liking your posts on Instagram? Mm. You know, who is this person who keeps commenting? And if they say to you, it's my friend at school, cousins, ex-girlfriends, new boyfriends, brother, some story, absolutely not. You know, because whenever these things go wrong, it's like, oh, well, my friend, um, my, my friend Sarah Jane said I should speak to this person. Mm. But Sarah Jane was told by somebody else that she should speak to them. And then it's actually just some dodgy guy who drives the red free candy van. Who your 13-year-old kid is speaking to as if they're the best friend and, uh, you know, a very inappropriate relationship. So really see who your children are interacting with. Ask them the hard questions. Who is this person? And they, you know, it's not negotiable that your children have private accounts. And as I've said already, there's no point in having a private account if they're going to let people that they don't know follow them. Sure. I'm enjoying this chat so much. I just, you just reminded me of something that happened to me because we were in media and, and I alerted my eldest daughter about it. Someone offered me a job and it looked legit. Now, I wasn't looking for a job at the time and I'm definitely not a good PA, so I wasn't going to apply. But if I was someone in need for a job, I was going to respond to this message that was inboxed to me on 
Facebook. And when I showed it to her, she said, but mom, it's, it's, a, it's a girl. I can just reply. And I said to her, I don't think it is. So there's all these things that lure us into it. And if we are not aware, educated or vigilant, we will just fall for it, you know. So when you mentioned yeah. the candy van, it was like you just said it, you know. And yeah. I got the biggest thrill of my life because, you know, who else is this person inboxing? Yeah, so there's that. I mean, so you potentially thought you were uh, like a, a quite a desperate person looking for an income. <laughs> but the kids, what we see, Alana, is we think what you've, you've got what it takes to be a top model. And we're from this modeling agency. And sometimes they even have an international phone number, which makes the kids think, oh my gosh, well, it's a plus one number. So this person's from America. It must plus be Plus nothing, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so then they start. And, you know, whatever your vulnerability is, they're going to tap into it. So whether, you know, it's... People are very, very clever and they can look at your social media accounts and see what you're into and see what your weaknesses are and see what your, what your, what your soft spot is. So we had a case with a, so as I say, a Miss Teen South Africa account. Uh, where they went around saying, we think we've got what it takes and you need to do this model application process online and then very gently start going through this process. You know, and if they'd started by saying, send us naked pictures, the kids would get a fight and say, absolutely not. But it's like, you've got what it takes and this is what we need. And then very slowly coaching your child through sending pictures of their face and pictures of their, in their hands, the whole time, feedback, feedback, you're doing great, you're doing great. Now we need a picture of you in your bikini. Now we need a picture mm-hmm. of you take off your bikini. We need to make sure, you know, but the whole time winning your trust. And it's not just children who are vulnerable here. I see particularly older people um, also being very vulnerable. And um, with the teenage boys, so easy, pretend to be the super hot young teenage girl and that you're super interested in them. And then suddenly they'll, if, and if there's, if there's just this red flag of if it seems to be too good to be true, it often is, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to be waved very clearly um, with the teenage boys. The baddies out there are very clever. And, you know, in this fake news pandemic that we're living in at the moment where I'm saying to everybody, presume everything you receive is fake until you've proved it's true, right. uh, I think that we should be giving the message to our children that presume every person you meet online is dodgy until you can prove that they are legitimate. Now, we can do that either by meeting them in the real world or we can FaceTime them or we can do reverse Google image searches of their profile pictures to make sure that they are who they say they are. You know, there there are tricks that we can do, but the cynicism and the skepticism is absolutely critical. Presume everybody who slides into your DM is dodgy and is not who they say they are until you've proven that they are. When I met you the first time, I realized what you specialize in. And it's, it's nice to know that there's a big sister, big brother, that there's the law that protects all of us against hate speech and cyberbullying and harassment and pornography offenses. What does one do? What do I as a parent do if I know that my child is being cyberbullied? She has tweeted something and it has gone wrong. She is on a WhatsApp group at school and the girls are talking about her or him and it is a problem and they're becoming sad and introverted. So I think that I wish that this wasn't the, the, the problem that I, that I see it as. The biggest problem at every school, no question, cyberbullying and sexting. Um, cyberbullying is something where we do have legal recourse. I always think that the school should be the first point of call because it is a big stick to get the law involved. You know, we are dealing with children and we've always got to remember the best interests of the child. If the school has been given the opportunity to take disciplinary action to make things right and they failed, then I would say get in touch with a company like us or just investigate what the options are. From a legal point of view, there are two laws which really do help us. The one is criminal urea. Now, it's just a fancy Latin word for when somebody seriously infringes your dignity. 
but we're seeing it in cyberbullying cases. So if your child has been, it's like somebody said something so terrible to your child or they started an Instagram account in her name and they're photoshopping faces of her face and doing horrible things, and that's no question that that is criminal urea. You can go and lay a criminal charge at the police station against the child who's doing that to your child. As I said, full criminal capacity from 14, arguable criminal capacity from 10 years old. Sure. Um, so, so criminal urea is certainly one that we can use. The other one is getting a protection order under the Protection from Harassment Act, which basically says if your child is being bullied, if your child is being harassed and it's causing um, harm or a fear of harm, but it can be mental, emotional, psychological harm, then your child can go and get a protection order against that person. If that person so much as sends them an SMS again, then they can be arrested. So we have those two options available to us. We also have defamation, but defamation is just not such a practical one because it involves going to sue in the high court, which takes a long time and it's expensive and it's not ideal, but it's still possible. Mm. Um, so those are the three, harassment, defamation, and criminal urea. But I'd say criminal urea is probably the biggest stick because... Your child could be arrested if they're cyberbullying somebody. What about sharing pictures? You have received a WhatsApp picture. It's a video. It's not kosher. It's not cool. Uh, it breaks all the rules in terms of protecting someone else. And you are sharing it to a WhatsApp group or to other people. As soon as you press that share button, you're responsible. Oh, no. It's as if you created it. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you're just sharing it on. So if somebody sends me a racist meme mm. and I press forward, the second I decide to press forward, I'm on the hook. Legal consequences, disciplinary consequences, reputational harm. We call this the chain of publication. It basically means every person in the chain of publishing legal content can be held responsible. Now, we can take that a step further. And actually, if you're associating yourself with inappropriate content, so for example, I, I don't know, there's, a, there's an Instagram account which gets set up and it's called Teen Sluts of Josie. I wish I was making this up. They pop up at least once a week. Teen Sluts of Josie, and then my child's face is listed on there. And then I see somebody's child has liked that picture. By liking it, they're saying, like, I agree. You know, Mm. so just by liking content, we can be in trouble. By being tagged in content, if we don't go and untag ourselves when we become aware of it, we can be in trouble. And actually being on a WhatsApp group and not leaving the WhatsApp group if, if things go awry, you're also responsible. Mm. Wow. You're a young, beautiful woman and very beautiful guy, and you take a picture of yourself and you share it to a friend. I thought you were calling me a young, beautiful woman. I was getting so excited. <laughs> you are a young, beautiful mom. <laughs> it's been a while since I was called <laughs> um, Okay, so this is what it says. Under the age of 18, you take a picture of yourself mm. naked. Or a sexual picture, you're creating child pornography. It's a criminal offense. Wait, wait, wait. So you're taking the picture of yourself and sharing Mm -hmm. it. Therefore, you are creating child pornography? It's outrageous, but yes, that's what the law says. Wow. So you are are legally bind. You are wrong, even though you took the picture of yourself. Yep, you took the picture of yourself. That's if you're under the age of 18. Under the age of 18, pictures of yourself naked or film yourself having sex, it's just risky. Under the age of 18, everything to do with sexting is dealt with as a child pornography offense. Mm. Children need to be taught, firstly, about the legal issues, but more importantly, about the reputational issues. Because you send that picture just to that one boy who you love with your whole entire heart, as soon as that content exists, it's out of your hands. Digital content is dangerous content. That's the mantra we've got to remember. Phones get lost, phones get stolen, accounts get hacked, ex-boyfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-friends become malicious and do horrible things. You do not let that content exist. Wow. Okay. So, so far we've learned about uh, commonsensemedia.org. 
We've learned about locations. We've learned about what to do with our toddlers. Just quickly, Netflix and Showmax and all the other platforms that we can download and pay a monthly subscription for. Do we put one in our children's name or do we connect that to our profiles as well? So you connect it to your um, account, but they would have their own profile. So then each family member can have a profile and then you go into the settings and you you have a, a password that only mum and dad know about. And then you can set parental controls for that specific profile. Right. So right. if you've got a teenage son who wants to go on Netflix, but you don't want them watching over 18 content, then you create them their own account and you go into settings, you put in that four-digit password and you make sure that they don't know what that is. And then you change the settings so that they can only watch content that you have approved. Someone's listening to this podcast now and they are in trouble. Uh, they've got a young daughter or son that needs defense. Uh, can they call you guys as well? Are you Is the digital law company, are, are you equipped to represent them? And so, so I'm not on the practicing role, but we do advise. So um, actually more than being a lawyer these days, I do reputation management and psychology because when people come to us, they really are often in a terrible, mm. terrible place. Um, often content, you know, maybe they sent a picture to their boyfriend and it's landed up on a porn site or somebody has to change their name or because they're being harassed or, you know, being trolled. There's, there's so much horrible stuff that goes on out there. So we are certainly first responders. We can help anybody who, who needs help. And um, we spend a lot of time helping, helping mm-hmm. victims, particularly victims of image-based violence. It really has become a passion project of mine over the years. And, and you know, I think that maybe my lasting message must just be that education is prevention and prevention is better than cure. And I feel so strongly about this. I've spent the last few years of my life living on airplanes and going to speak at every school I can. Um, With the global pandemic we're in, I can't do that. So I've taken all of my content online. Listeners can go and have a look at the Digital Law Academy. And I really think it's just not negotiable that every single child out there who has access to the internet or is on social media, any social media accounts, or even if it's just gaming or they've got a phone and they're on a WhatsApp group, they need to watch the video. They need to, they need to watch that. They need to make sure that they understand the rules, the risks, the issues before you let them free on that online space. Insightful and wow, you have just changed lives, Emma Sadlio. We have to follow her. Facebook, The Digital Law Co. Instagram, The Digital Law Co. On Twitter, you can follow Emma. It's quite interesting to do. At Emma Sadlio, her surname, you spell like this. S-A-D, as in the word sad, and then L-E-I-R. So at Emma Sadlio. Emma, we wish you well in business because thank goodness we don't have to defend ourselves or advise ourselves about social media issues because all we want to do is post. Stay safe and thank you so much for the opportunity. Baby Brunch, the parenting series is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth. We let you be you.